Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my friend and special guest, Shannon Browning. Hello. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> I also, I should, I should say, my uh, co-conspirator in Booth Street Pictures, which yes. we both run together. Yes, exactly. Um, um, yes, we, we're finally going to make something soon, but yeah. I know. We've been... this. The funny thing before we start is that production name has been under our belt since 2019. Since we authorized it for an ABM, um, which cost about a, it wasn't cheap, but it no. was about a grand. Yeah. Um, if you get an ABN just in your own name, you don't have to pay for it. But if you get it in a company name, then you have to pay. Yeah. And they sort of make up for all the free ones. Yeah. Mm. It's it, and then you know, but now we're finally able to tax some stuff on like stuff we've done so this will be first time we've actually like kind of like build a giant tax bill yeah <laughs> to be like here's our invoices and go wild the tax people will love us yeah um, it, it's actually becoming an actual company rather than just like you know this yeah. flash in the pan sort of thing instead of us just rambling about what we do mm-hmm. tell us everything about what you do and who you are because i know who you are but the audience out there don't oh. Who, who am I? Well, let's let's see. Let's go back to the very beginning. Um, let, uh, my mother was a well-known bass singer, uh, <laughs> and my father was the first person to stuff spaghetti with bicarbonate soda, thus causing and curing indigestion at the same time. Uh, really? Um, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> I know, right? No, let's see. I am. Oh my god, I, I've done so many things in my life that this is. I've got a hell of a resume. So here we go. I am um, a graphic designer. I'm a writer, I am an artist, I am a comic book writer and a comic book publisher, uh, I am a filmmaker, I am a screenwriter. You worked a, as a video editor for a Yeah, news I've been companies. a video news producer, I've been a podcast producer, not this one. Um, I've been, I've worked in radio, I've worked in theatre, I've worked in TV, I've worked in film, I've worked in advertising, I've worked in publishing. Um, it's starting to sound like I can't hold down a job, but, um, yeah, it's freelancing worldwide there. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You name it. Like if, if there's a creative bent to it, um, I've done it for a while. Yeah. You know, um, all just trying to move forward and work towards the end goal. Yeah. Whatever that is, but yeah, I've I've done a lot of stuff. Where did it? Where did it all start for you, though? Where did this kind of like young Shannon go, oh, okay, this is the career that I want to do? Because I know you've done all this stuff, mm. but where did that like initial drive? I have this personal thing. It's like I think everybody has a movie or a show or something like that in their life yeah. that changed their life. You know, like you saw um, a John Wayne movie and you joined the army. You saw a police show and you became a cop, all that sort of thing. Personally, I have four films that altered who I am and what I was going to do with my life. Yeah. Um, Now, the first of those was Star Wars. And that's where everything about me came from. Like I saw that. For the first time when I was about five years old, I saw four or five years old, I saw it first run in the cinemas here in Australia. Yes, I'm that friggin' old. Um, And it just influenced everything about me. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah, I wouldn't have the career I have now. I wouldn't have the interests I have now. I wouldn't have the friends I have now if I didn't go and see that film. If Dad hadn't had to take me to see Farlap instead. Um... Wow, so, that would have been a real change. 
dad wanted me to be a vet. Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that was the first one. The second one was Jaws. Yeah. Because that introduced me to the name Spielberg. Yes. Which was the first inclination that I had that people actually made movies for a living. Yes. You know, because you always saw it as just like a film by Sp Steven Spielberg. And as I went on and I just kept on finding that all these movies that I like watching had his name attached or associated to it. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what a director did, you know, at yeah. all. But just realized that there there was a job out there where you could make movies. Hmm. Um, so that's the first two. The third one is um, Batman 89 because that got me into comic books yeah. and superheroes and my love of that medium. Um, I didn't even realize that we're still publishing comic books at that time in history. And this is yeah. you know, back in 1989, obviously. Um, so it wasn't until that movie came out. And then like I found some Batman comics uh, in a news agency that I realized, oh, they still make them. This is great. I know it's obvious as hell, but it didn't occur to me at the time. And then the last one is Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Because Nightmare on Elm Street was the first horror movie that I watched that I enjoyed. Up to that point, horror movies terrified me. I didn't understand why anybody would ever want to watch them. Yeah. And then I watched, admittedly, it was the edited for television version of Nightmares 1, 2, and 3. Uh, they were oh. on Channel 9. So all the gore was removed. Kind yeah. Of. You know, they're about 20 minutes long, but... <laughs> Still, I I watched them and I really enjoyed them. Sort yeah. of thing. It's just like, okay, horror is actually fun. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of creativity here. There's a lot of um, insane sort of artistry and stuff like that. I mean, some, sometimes the stories aren't that good, but you don't watch them for the stories. You watch them for all the crazy shit that they're doing. Yeah. Um, like with makeup and with effects and that sort of thing. So that's that's kind of the path that led me to where I am now. So... I was always a drawer. I was always an artist. I was always drawing on something. Mm. Um, and um, like did art briefly at the beginning of high school, but had a shitty art teacher and didn't want to do it anymore, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I regret. Um, and then got to the point I was not having a good time at high school. I was, you know, incredibly miserable. I was very picked on. Um, didn't really have many friends or anything like that mm. and just begged my parents at one point to find an alternative and my dad god bless him he um he was talking to a mate whose daughter had just been to this design college oh, okay and um this mate said oh you know dad was telling me he's like he's a great artist he's always drawing he's always doing all this creative stuff but he's just so miserable at school i don't know what to do um this mate told him about this thing and said if you can get some of his artwork I'll give it to my daughter. She can take it in and they can have a look at it and see whether or not he'd be he'd work at the, the school. So my dad snuck into my room that night and just found a whole bunch of drawings that I'd done, mostly on the back of um, like schoolwork. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, sent that off to the college and they invited me to come in for an interview. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, so I wound up, I dropped out of high school at the end of year 11. Yeah. So never graduated, never looked back. Um and did graphic design for two years. Wow. But there was also fine art uh, classes in there. And there was one film class in there when we were doing storyboards or an animatic for a uh, commercial. 
Um, so yeah, got to develop my drawing skills. Got was get, really getting into comic books at the time. So like was like started to like do drawings for that and that sort of thing. And yeah, went from there. So you know, went out and got a job. I got a few like little freelance jobs until I finally got a job at a publishing house, which I was at for four years. Yeah. Uh, finally left there and have been bouncing all around the place, trying always trying to do something new and different. Yeah. It's like, all right, I've learned how to do that. I kind of want to learn how to do something else. And I was always working towards trying to get into film and TV somehow. Yeah. Um, but didn't have any, I hadn't done any film or TV education ever. So I didn't know what skills I could put forward into that. Yeah. Um, so we'd just do little things or volunteer or, um, yeah, the, like the first time I was ever on a film set, I rung the production company up out of the blue and just said, can I come hang out and set? And they said, oh, you know, we, we, we'd have to hire you as an extra, but we can't afford to pay you. And I said, you don't have to pay me. And they said, great, be here tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. And that was on a very little Australian film that went straight to the bottom shelf of the DVD shelf, DVD, um, the video store. Um, by the way, English is my second language. I've just never developed a first. Um, <laughs> um, what was the film called? It was called The Crop. Gregley uh, Rings a Bell. Yeah, it had, uh, what's his name? Reese Maldoon. Oh, okay. In it and Holly Brisley. They're the two people that I remember being in it. Uh, it was set in the 80s and it was set around the time when the breathalyzer first got introduced. And like a lot of pubs and clubs were losing a lot of money because people were still going out, but they weren't drinking because they didn't want to get caught by the breathalyzer. Yeah. So this one particular club comes up with the idea of growing and selling marijuana in the club to try and bring their profits up that they've lost on alcohol. And it went from that. Nice. Yeah. And I got to, um, <laughs> I got to be an extra for two days in the nightclub scene. And just loved it. Just loved being on set. Just loved watching what was going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, just had a really, really good time. It's just like, yeah, I want, I want more of this. Yeah. Of course, I, I am now a myth in the in the Aussie film industry because of that. Really? <laughs> I have to tell this story. Okay. Um, I like. First of all, I, I need to do this to describe myself. I'm six foot four tall. Um, I have a physique that can only be described as um, Darwin was wrong. <laughs> um, I basically look like what would happen if an orangutan fucked a flamingo. Um, I've like <laughs> massive long limbs. I'm really tall. I stand out in a crowd. Uh, so there's one scene where Holly is having an argument with her boyfriend in the club. Yeah. And I'm standing off to the side and the directors come up and grab me and just said, all right, walk through the back of the shot. Uh, at this moment so i've walked through the, the through the shot turned around i'm looking back uh the director's looking at me and he's sort of like done this he was actually doing it the guy next to me uh, but i didn't realize so i've walked back across and after the shot he said to me it's like all right look you know i wasn't actually pointing at you but that's fine just do that every single time we do the take and it's like yeah okay great um didn't think anything more of it thought oh cool i'm gonna like show up in the background of a film yay you know achievement unlocked uh, and forgot about it for years. And that movie just disappeared. It completely disappeared. I didn't hear anything about it for a good six or seven years. Wow, okay. Until finally, and I wasn't kidding, I found it on the bottom shelf of the local blockbuster. 
You know, it's just like, oh my God, it's the crop. I got to watch this. So I've hired it. I've taken it home, started watching it. It was boring as hell. So I'm just fast forwarding it through parts. And it's just like, where am I going to show up? Pretty sure I saw my elbow at one point. Um, <laughs> but this, but finally the scene comes up where it's the girl arguing with the boyfriend, but they've reshot it. They've relocated it to the girl's apartment and have completely oh. reshot it. And it's just like, oh, well, that's disappointing. I don't show up. Oh, damn. Fast forward several years again, I started working as an extra. That was something I missed from my resume earlier. Um, just to get on set and to see how things worked and to talk to different people and find yeah, out what yeah. their job was and that sort of thing. And um, I was, I think it was home and away. And I was talking to the second AD. And we're talking about past jobs and things he's worked on, that sort of thing. And he asked me some stuff I'd been on and I mentioned the crop. Uh, and I was talking about it and I told him that story. And then all of a sudden his eyes go wide and he goes, oh my God, you're the tall guy. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, we were watching dailies. And at one point, this really tall guy walks through the background and he made the actors look tiny. And they had to reshoot that shot. But like they no longer had access to the set because they didn't have where it was set up and had been torn down by then. So they had to relocate it to the to the girl's bedroom. And she goes, oh my God, you were the tall guy. And it's like, great, my first time on set and I fucked things up completely. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, and that was purely because the director as well. Like, yeah. You're just... Yeah, he just wanted he wanted a little bit of um, motion going in the background, so it's just like you know, grab you, you walk, grab you, you walk, grab yeah, you. Yeah, but didn't walk. factor yeah. in the fact that you're mm. six foot four and just everyone else is like five yeah. foot eight and just giant figure looks. And it, yeah, a big thing about that was as well. It's like I'm sure while they were hiring extras, they would have gone through and found the heights of all the extras. So like no one was over a certain height. I yeah, do, I do remember me standing out a bit. Yeah. So when I've just rung up and say, hey, can I come and hang out? It wasn't as like, how tall are you? Like yeah. I just show up and they, it's just like, oh my God, Gojira. <laughs> I think I think that's very much like, you know, just the kind of complete opposite mm. of what, you know, what people expect. Yeah. Or, you know, because you do, you've got that like, um, you enjoy playing these kind of roles where you play the killer or something. Oh, the bad guy. Yeah. 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 But it also kind of complements your height because... <laughs> It it complements my my facial features as well. I you know I've got the look of an Neanderthal serial killer. So, like, I do I do have this harsh looking face, and especially if I'm not smiling or if I'm not yeah. laughing or even if I'm not speaking or something like that, just the resting bitch face that I have, um, I'm quite intimidating. You know, until you meet me, and then um, you talk, and then everyone's yeah, exactly. Like, oh, okay, and it's just like oh, okay, he's a dickhead. It's <laughs> But yeah, you yeah. said it, not me. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, when I was doing the extras work, I was in a lot of um, uh, like crime reenactment shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I was in. I played cops. I played crims. I played a wharfie at one point. Ooh, another story. Oh, okay. Go for it. Go <laughs> wild. I'm just listening at this yeah. point. When I when I was I was on a show called Tough Nuts, um, and they were re reenacting something like the Wharves of Melbourne from the 1930s. Yeah, uh, and so we're shooting at night at the walls down in Sydney, and I get there and I brought some outfits to wear and stuff, and they said, "All right, what have you got?" And I said, "Look, I've got a pair of blue coveralls, which was part of my Michael Myers cosplay." Yeah, um, and I've got a black beanie here as well, and they said, "All right, great, just put those on." It was like, "Oh, there's a logo on that. Just turn that inside out." All right, great. No, that's, that's your outfit. That's fine. Yeah, and. So as we're going, like I'm dressed and we're doing stuff and I started noticing that like every time I walked up to some of the other extras, they would very quickly walk away from me. Oh. It's like, the hell? 
and I didn't pay too much attention to it, but it's it's happened a few times. And then we're having dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting and I'm talking and making jokes and, you know, trying to make everybody feel pretty good. And then one of the guys goes, you know what? When when we all got here, we were scared of you. I said, why? They said, well, you showed, because you showed up with your own um, coveralls and stuff, we thought you were an actual war for you. You were fucking terrifying. And it's just like, dude, I'm an artist. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've had that a... I've had that a few times. I always feel like quite funny because like just sometimes when you do stand there mm. and I've seen you stand in a crowd and then suddenly you just do this, you you do have that face where you just go to this and you're like, how many people has he killed today like, <laughs> in your head? Because you do, you just kind of sit there mm. and you're like, I when, do. you don't, when you're thinking, you have a very resting thinking face mm. and it's the... Dear God, it's a glare. <laughs> it's, it's a but full it's not glaring. glaring at anything. No, you it's just not stare. Meant to be. Yeah, you're staring off in the distance, like mm. thinking about something. But you have this very natural, very serious, like yeah. stoic-looking face yeah. whenever I do that. Yeah, it makes me look intelligent for a minute. I think I think one of the funniest things was the first time I ever met you, mm. which God goes back like three years. Mm. Um, I remembered we'd been emailing back and forth, mm. and we were like, "Oh, let's meet up. Let's grab coffee. Let's let's." And I think I had this sort of like image of you in my head mm. where it was like someone who would come in a suit and like this really formal look and you came with your hoodie and your t-shirt <laughs> and your backpack. I was like, oh, he's like me. Yes. Like, I feel so safe. Oh, great. He dresses like a 12-year-old. Okay. <laughs> I was like, me too. Yes. Um, so yeah, but you were wearing a fucking suit. I, well, because I thought you <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would because um, it was like I think it was like the emails were so professional like it was just like this really back and forth because we didn't know each other and mm. now we do and it's just like you know just complaining back and forth yeah yeah um, oh that, yeah that's the thing with me it's like I, I'm uber pro in emails and correspondence and stuff like that because you never know who's who, reading who it. you're talking to yeah you know um. and it's so easy like because I've always ha had this issue. It's like I will write a joke either on social media or, to, or in an email or in a text or something like that. And then a friend will like write something back and say, dude, that wasn't funny. Yeah. And I will write them back and say, all right, you just read that in your voice. Now reread it, but have my voice playing in your head while you read it. And they read it and go, oh, yeah, that was funny. Sorry. Do you think that's the, do you think that's down to phrasing or do you think it's just down to the the fact that this is this is kind of like also my thing which mm. I th I think a lot of things are misconstrued during written mm. and which is why I hate you know if you if you're going to talk to me just call me because it's easier <laughs> because having read a lot of things where people message big essays and like this is why I like don't like you know DNMing and you mm. know deep meaningful conversations via text just call me because mm. it's easier to convey emotions yeah. than just being like, oh, this is a text. Because a text can be misconstrued as being more angry, more aggressive, like whatever. Mm. Um, and I feel like that, like in those situations, it's like, you know, particularly, you know, our sense of humor sometimes or sarcasm or anything like that gets really misconstrued as being an asshole. Yeah. It's so easy yeah. because, and, and that's not... Um, you know, it's just because the way we associate, like the way we talk is like how people talk in TV as well. It's just that kind of dry, sarcastic. They're a dickhead. They're mm. you know whatever. Um, but when you read that off a message, it gets very misconstrued because you, as you say, we don't know who 
who's reading and they're always mm. reading in their own voice. And it's funny, whenever I read a conversation now, especially with you and Tony, it's like I can tell who's who's like who with particular indi- um, uh, nature in terms of... But mm. there's always some phrasing where you just go, I don't know why that's written in a way that isn't your voice mm. because I can't picture it. Yeah. So there's always that kind of like thing of like, if you're going to have a deep and meaningful conversation, have it in person because, mm. which I know I'm bad at that, <laughs> but yeah. you know, everyone is. Communication is just hard enough. So I do agree with you, but I also feel like it's not people being too sensitive. It's people just, there is an element of sensitivity, but there's also an element of just sometimes we rely on messages because we're afraid of confrontation or having a conversation with someone on a phone, which is- It um, also gives you a chance to think before you speak and to review. Yes, because you might be like, oh, I don't want to send that. um, I feel, what was the day when social media was starting out? And um, everyone would write their secondary thought Mm. or like I've read statuses from when I was like in my teenage years. Mm. And I think the best one I ever found was no one likes me, um, um, but I'm happy or something like that. (laughs) I was like, this is probably 2008, 2009. Mm. And I just gone and thought back and I was like, what was I thinking at the time? And I was like, I must have been very depressed. One, Mm. because that reads like a person who is clearly Mm. clinically unhappy. But also, too, no, I would never write that anymore because in my head, Facebook has become, you know, this multi-news platform and I'd just rather post, you know, if you're going to want to follow, um, if you want to ask me a question, text me or call me. Mm. Like, you have my number. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like my mentality, whereas, you know, um, like, tw- you know, we're not the Trumps of the world where it's Twitter. <laughs> yeah, my every thought goes out on you know, yeah, or a tweet st- or something like or, that. Or, or like most celebrities. I feel mm. like it's a celebrity thing now. They they feel like they have the right to say whatever mm. and there is a less of a construed to reserve what they say. Yeah. Um so no, I do I do get where your friend is coming from, but I also get where you're you're coming from because yeah. it's the the argument comes from both sides. Well you gotta remember as well is that like um when you're reading when you're reading stuff um, you're always reading it from your perspective. You're always yeah. reading it from um, like your biases and your your uh, perspective from like past history and stuff like that. So that's the first place you're going to go. So like you said, like with our humor and stuff like that, I'm very sarcastic and I've also got a black belt in irony. Yes. You, know, um, <laughs> you trained hard in that. Yes, I did. You know, just like, you know, I was going to make a joke. I got nothing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I had all this karate kid imagery in my head and just like, take that and do something with it. Mm, No. Um, Um. But I will, so I will, I, and I also write exactly the way I speak. Yes. Sort of thing. But none of the um, tone of the voice is there. None of the, um, uh, the expression, none of the facial things, none of the sideways glances that I give people when I'm like taking the piss out of them yeah. um, is there. So you, yeah, you always hear it in your own voice, which is, I think is like one of the things of why I think social media is kind of dangerous. 100%. Because, you know, your people will get up there and they will say, especially now, some of the most horrible shit that comes into their mind. You know, as your kid, you always say, oh God, I wish I could read people's minds. Yeah, And then someone invented Twitter and it's just like, no, fuck, I don't ever want to do that. You know, but we're not hearing that in other people's voices. We're always hearing that in our own voice. So it's an internal monologue. 
So if you're reading, especially when you're being bullied online and you're reading all these comments of your shit, you should kill yourself, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're hearing your own voice telling you that inside your head. And yeah. so it becomes a lot more real. If it's someone else's voice yelling that at you across the, across the street, it still hurts, but you can ignore it a little bit better. Yeah. But this is you. This is you saying that stuff. Yeah, someone else wrote it, but it's still you saying that to you. And that has much more of an effect. Yeah. It goes back to that saying of words have power. Yeah, exactly. And, um, oh, God, yeah. I think this is it, the, the danger of like um, uh, social media, which is I find it's such a um, like toxic environment. It's funny. It's ironic because, you know, we use it to promote stuff. We mm. use it to alert people to things because how else do you alert people other than social media? Mm. So it's kind of like um, just an annoying aspect of what you need to do to essentially make it or get it your name out there. Yeah. But then everyone uses every bit of data or every bit of personal information against you. Mm. And I think it was like, um, you know, prime example was came from James Gunn, which when uh, he got fired from Disney mm. because of all those um, jokes that he made. I think it was about 10 years ago. Which yeah, 10 was, years ago. Um, and, you know, he acknowledged, he was like, they weren't funny. Mm. I acknowledge that. Mm. Um, but. And did I he meant, make them when he was in his 20s or something? Yeah. Like and that. he said, I'm no longer that person. Yeah. Yes, they were inappropriate. Yes, I regret them. But at the time, I found them very funny. Mm. So. That is me then. This is me now. Yeah. And I think that was a very profound statement because there is an element of like, you know, the Kevin Spaceys of the world and the, all these allegations against people. And they're, no, they're still assholes now. Yeah. They're not good people now. Mm. They haven't evolved. Yeah. And they've actually evolved the other ways. Like they, yeah. they, they started off being an asshole and they're more of a fucking asshole now because they've been getting away with it for 20 years. Yeah. So I think with James Gunn, it's nice because it was also the entire cast when we want him back. We're yeah. not doing this unless he's back. So it was a huge kind of mm. uproar. And it's so fucking ironic that Disney fired James Gunn for the person he was 10 or 15 years ago. Every single Disney movie is the story about a character changing who they are, moving forward and becoming a better person. Yeah. It's, and it's like, you, did, you guys, you didn't get this concept? Have you not seen your own shit? But the funny thing is, then it goes to the Joss Whedons of the world, who's still, he's about to have made a show. He stepped down from this show as well. Mm. There was an article I read the other day, The Nevers, I think it's called. It's a. I know what you're talking about. I couldn't tell you the time. Yeah, I think it was called The Nevers. Um, but anyway, like HBO show, he stepped down mm. and basically they were all like, oh, it's because of the sexual allegations. And there's just these all these articles, you know, like for you and I, he was mm. a big you know, influence. Oh yeah. And a I lot of... really looked up to Joss Whedon. I really yeah. did. So I'm so fucking disappointed with him at the moment. But, yeah, but, going. but it's just like the funny thing is I don't like him at all now mm. because it's like with the whole single, you know, that also uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Ellen DeGeneres at all, but I feel like all the stuff, the contention of the hostile work environment and stuff just makes me go, you know, the fact that you've turned around after so many years of being a celebrity and just mm. gone, hey, I should change the way. And I was like, no, sorry. Mm. You should have done that, like, throughout your career. Like, yeah. This is this is now you're in your 60s. Please have done this, like, th 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and because you, you know, she's a gay woman and she was like, oh, I want to be accepted. And I'm like, well, accept other people for their differences. Like, mm. and be nice and be a good manager. Be, be the person you want to see on TV, which mm. you were trying to do. Mm. Um, 
So there's always that aspect. But yeah, I think with this whole culture, there's the cancel culture, but it was funny because I was talking this with another guest as well. The Kevin Spacey stuff, Mm. I will still watch his old films. I will still watch Firefly, you know, the writing and everything, Mm. but I will not like the person who they are as a person. I will just appreciate the art for the person, the, the other people who have made it. It doesn't take away that aspect, mm. but it does make me go. There's a lot of unpleasantry behind this. Yeah, it's like, it's like um, the J.K. Rowling stuff. Oh, mm. you know, J.K. Rowling, like as you know, the writer and creator of Harry Potter and the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. Now, I'm in the nerd um, society. I'm like part of nerd culture and stuff like that. Yeah. So even though I'm not a fan of Harry Potter, um, seen all the movies. Yep, they're fine, except for the first three. Um, <laughs> My but, childhood. <laughs> they haven't aged yeah. well. Um, no, the, fir- the first three are fucking boring. But anyway. Um, the third one gets better, but the first two, I do agree, the first yeah. two are just not good. Yeah. Um, but you had all these kids who grew up with that. And yeah. like, because, they're, what, there's six books, seven books? There's seven books, eight seven, movies. Seven books, eight movies. Okay. That's um, that's a childhood. Yes. You know? Um, and like, there's so many themes and stories in those books that all these insecure kids that didn't have an identity or getting picked on or like weren't sure of themselves and whatever. And that can apply to gay kids. That can apply to trans kids. That can apply to, you know, Mm. whatever. Um, They found in Harry Potter, this courage and this strength moving forward. And that's going to be so incredibly important to them moving forward. They're always going to have like a little bit of Harry Potter in their soul because it helped them become the people they are. Yeah. And then JK turns around and goes, trans people suck. Yeah, or trans you know? people aren't real people. Yeah. They're, you know. And you had this whole massive confliction from this entire fandom um, of, we, we still love Harry Potter. Harry Potter means so much to me, but you're a cunt. <laughs> yes. You know? and, you, and I think at some point you do have to separate the art from the artist. Yes. You know, because like, you know, I have people who lament like whether or not they, they should be allowed to listen to Michael Jackson songs. Yes. You know, because of the whole. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you, you know, like, and then there's the Joss Whedon stuff. And then there's, you know, so many fucking allegations. So many people turn out to be assholes in this industry. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, but if, if the art was important to you, like then the art can still be important to you. Just because someone is an asshole doesn't mean they couldn't create something that's going to resonate with you and make you a better person. Yes. Even if that wasn't their intention. Yes. I think I think that goes to I think I hundred percent agree with that because it's a shame with the whole, you know, like Fantastic Beasts and stuff. And I think that's an entire money grab at this point. Mm. The first movie was fun. But after the second one, I was like, no, that's a piece of shit. I don't think um, I've seen the second one. It, it, it's not good. <laughs> don't bother. Mm. But I mean, for me, I enjoyed the books, but I remember when all the, uh, you know, and it goes the same with anything I've read. Mm. You're right. A lot of things that we read, like H.P. Lovecraft, great example. Oh, yeah. The stories are fantastic. America's favorite racist. Yeah. You know? He's a fucking arsehole. He and really it, was. And you read it and you just go, oh, I'm glad he died when he was 40. Like, because, because he was so horrible. Mm. But there is something to be said about people not not belligerent, not ignorant, but mm. there's there is just something to be said about when people don't understand something there is or 
have a particular, you know, I'm not saying these people are great, but they do make interesting stories. Mm. They make very interesting stories. I think like my favorite one is, at the moment is Craig McLaughlin. Fucking asshole. Really, he's the guy who got off all the sexual allegations and everything. And just to be like, they ruined my career. And it was clear from oh. the acting community. You know who I mean. He's like I the Australian. Do, yeah, yeah. Like, I literally blanked. Like thinking, who the fuck is Craig McLaughlin? Yeah, he's you the. Know, like he's most like, of the world. But- yes, I know. But he's like a massive prick. Yeah. Like, And I heard this from all my acting friends and everything. Like, mm. We've got mutual friends who know of him or have heard stories about him. Oh, yeah. And- the Sydney industry is very small and it's very incestuous. Yes. So like... If you're an asshole to anyone, everyone will find out because it's not even seven degrees of separation. It's about two. Yeah. Because you know? it's just, it, the funny thing is, like, I often get this, you know, uh, or meet someone and they'll be like, oh, how do you know Shannon? And then you'll meet someone and go, how the hell do you know Marty? Yeah. Like, it's, there is so many people who just know us through either friends referencing us or, you know, stories that have been heard. But the industry is so small. So when all these things that he got off mm. about, I was like, how the fuck did you get off anything about this? Because, like, you must have the ultimate money. I'm sorry. Like, he is just a fucking asshole. I and don't even think it was money. I just th- I think it's, quite frankly, you go to court and there's 12 jurors and 11 of them are male. Oh, God, yeah. Sort of yeah. thing. And it's just like, oh, what a surprise you got off. Yeah, I know. And, and like, and my partner pointed this out the other day um, that she said um, that it was, like, the thing about words, we're talking about words. Mm. The thing about words is words are thrown around so freely these days, which I do agree. Like the word, but she pointed out that the word rape at the moment is being thrown out so freely in news articles, which is what happened in the government recently, the rape mm. ap- accusations. I think what I agree, I 100% agree with her that I think that word is. So she was like, well, say it's sexual assault. And I was like, actually, that's also true. But it's, in my mind, I'm also like, well, how do we convey the gravitas of that sexual assault? But also, in the same time, sexual assault, sexual assault. Mm. It's still a fucking atrocity. Like, yeah, you really don't is. do it in. And I think the fact that, sorry, but like, this goes on to my hatred of our government. Mm-hmm. How the fuck are they just going, you know what? It's fine. He, he just, you know. This, it wasn't, it wasn't rape, right, right. It wasn't right, guys. It wasn't sexual assault. Salt. It's yes. just fine. It it's, was fun. I mean, they, they, she was a consenting a, adult. adult, you know. <laughs> she may have said no, but that's fine. Yeah. It's just, she was just playing hard to get. Boys <laughs> will be boys, you it, know. It just shits me to tears and it just goes um, back to that whole upbringing mm. where it was like, the government is run by white men. It is 100% run by white men. Mm. In a position of power, mm. and there was something that um, you know th- there that was are this- m- massively out of touch. Yeah, like or the- very privileged. Or ve- <laughs> yeah, that that's where the out of t- touchness comes from. Yeah, it's like you know you have people in like talking about being poor who have never been poor. Yeah, have have never not had money. Now, yeah. like I've I've been like because I have tried to do so many different things and taken so many chances and stuff in my life. I've been unemployed a fucking ton. Yeah, you know, I have been broke. I have been like um, fetal position on the f- floor, shaking, wondering how the fuck I'm going to get through the next week. Scared, yeah. poor. You know, if you have been there, then your mentality to poor people or homeless people or the dole or um, job seeker or anything like that is radically different. But if you've always had money, if it's and always had money to the issue that you don't have to think about money. 
Yeah. You know, and I can guarantee most of the politicians that we have at the moment, they've never once walked into a store or thought about going out to a restaurant or like gone for a trip or something like that and just thought, can we afford this? If I do that, do I have yeah. to think? It's just like, let's do that. Flips out the credit card, pays for it all, off you go, have fun, come back. Never once thought about the money they spent. No. You know? So if those people are trying to, like complaining about how much money that people who are starving to fucking death or like missing a meal every single day because they can't afford it or something like that, whether or not they have money or whether or not they're trying hard enough, yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Like you, you, if you want to, if you want to control that shit, then you fucking live that life. Yeah. You know, the, the Australian politician is fucking insane. Like the pensions that they get, the money that they get, the allowances that they get, like it's the, it's the ultimate fucking dodge. Yeah. You know, they complain. It's just like, oh, you know, people on the dole don't work very hard. You, you Like politicians work 60 fucking days through the year. You know, that leaves 305 fucking days per year they don't work. Yeah. And yet they're bitching and wailing about someone, like, about whether or not the fucking minimum wage should be raised. It's just like, oh, you know, they're not going to be incentive to go out and get a fucking job. Yeah, bullshit. Why, yeah. Do, why aren't you incentive to go out and get a fucking job? Because you're fucking milking the rest of us, you cunts. But anyway. You know, <laughs> you- I, I just realized that the milk crate was getting higher and higher and higher. <laughs> I just I appreciate the rant because it's it's so it's so true and and goes back to kind of my thing you know and I'll say this now like two white guys talking about you know how like <laughs> the iron the irony of this situation is is so and the hypocrisy yeah. but I mean also we the thing that I will point out is neither you or I came from you know we haven't come from rich families no. we have not come from rich families I remember growing up. And my dad has been a freelancer his entire career, Mm. um, worked as a photographer. My mum basically was the money provider, like the serious job money provider. Mm. And before then, they were both teachers. So a teacher wage is not huge. My mother was a teacher. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's sort of like for us to grow up. And I remember mum and dad are now in a very good position where they've renovated their house. They're in a happy position. They've got the money to, you know, they're, they're happily mm. close to retirement. So it's one of those things where I'm like, they're going, I want you to be happy. But there's also an element of like, they're also, my mum keeps saying, remember to work. Like, mm. re- don't forget you are earning for you. And, you know, I want you to be happy. But it's also that mentality of, you know, you're working to provide for yourself. You're, you know, it's not, I'm going to help you get to places yeah. whereas i hate that mentality like you know my parents gave me a car but they're going pay us off mm. this isn't just us handing you something that you have to pay us back mm. for this and i think fair enough like mm. whenever they let me borrow it was petrol they were like no you fill the tank up mm. like we're lending you it you fill it up yeah. so it was always there was always a compensation for them mm. so for that mentality i think that's been really good because you know I've grown up in a fairly well-positioned area, mm. but in the 90s, it was not. Mm. Like, being this close to the city was a bit of a shithole. Like, Stanmore, we had 
dodgy people around. I like remember. Dude, I grew up in the yeah. western suburbs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you grew up in the fucking worst. Like, we'll go to your section yes. as well because it was just like. But you remember like Parramatta Road? Yeah. It's been gentrified now, but been the nineties and even in the eighties, it was. It's f- been gentrified, but it's still like it's, it's still, still, still a there. It's <laughs> like I am really surprised that any business along Parramatta Road actually does business. It doesn't. Half the shops have shut down. Yeah. But it's kind of like the thing that, you know, when I remember in the 90s, the Western Suburbs was like, you know, you look at Blacktown, you look at, you know, Mount Druid, yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, They were the poor areas. They were considered, if you went there, you had no money. Yeah. Like, and, and they still are a little bit now, but they're a lot less. But I remember growing yeah, up because they ran out of places to put housing. Yeah, <laughs> so they they've made all these really ritzy housing developments, and it's like literally right next to. I, I can sum it up like this: uh, Wet and Wild, or whatever they call it now, Raging Waters. Yeah, that yeah. water park that's out in Western Sydney that they built out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is built exactly on where they found the body of Anita Cobby, the really? nurse that was raped and murdered back in the eighties. Yeah. So that yeah, that was built there. There's a industrial area on the other side of the road, and, and that that makes me feel very area. uncomfortable going there now. Yeah, I've never been there, but no, I wouldn't. I've never been, but like the whole concept now. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But like, and that, and that was sort of how, where that area was. There was people like um, the Anita Cobby murders. There was yeah. there was kids like the the uh, Janine Balding. Murder, yeah, which was like you know she was murdered by a bunch of kids. The eldest of which I think was 17. The youngest of which I think was 12. Fuck. You know, it was a bunch of homeless kids that were just messed up. But it, the western suburbs of Sydney, like it started as just cheap housing and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's sort of where you went. Um, like if your life wasn't going where, that's where they sort of ferried everybody that was low house, low income, yeah, yeah. like or on the dole or that sort of thing. They were like, a, There's a whole bunch of housing commissions out there and stuff as well. Like yeah. they're, they're hidden within the suburbs. Um, a bit like Glebe. Glebe's yeah. got that as well. I mean, I remember like when I first got out of college and I was looking for a job, I was living at my parents' place uh, out at Mulgoa, which is just outside. It's about yeah. 15 minutes outside of uh, Penrith, which is just at the foot of the Blue Mountains. Yeah, yeah. And you would tell people where you lived and they say, Mulgoa, where, where is that? Now, there's two answers to that. You could say, I'm just outside of Penrith. And the reaction would be, Oh, or or you could say, "Oh, I'm just at the foot of the Blue Mountains," and the reaction is, "Oh, ah, that mass like, like so, like the Blue Mountains is all ritzy and hippie yeah, yeah, and yeah. like communes and like all this cool stuff and all the rest of it." Um, but Penrith is the edge of the Western suburbs, yes, sort of thing. So that massive change in perception, like I still live in the exact same place, but it's just like the description, and neither of them are will lies either. I didn't have to lie and say, oh, I live here, I live there, or anything yeah, like yeah. that. It's just like, oh, it's just the foot of the Blue Mountains. Yeah. Which is Penrith. Yeah. I mean, it goes It goes to also like people, who, you know, the Central Coast. Mm. People that live out there and they go, oh, really? You live in the Central Coast? And it's like, you know, um, my partner's family live out in the Central Coast. Mm. It's a great area. Mm. But it's just, it works. There's the rich areas and then there's the non-rich areas. And it's, it's the funny thing is, it's like, um, you know, it's, I drove around Redfern mm. recently as well. 
which used to be known as the CBD shithole. Oh, yeah. It's, it was like, yeah, then that was not a place you went after that. That was not a place you went after four. No. The, the moment it, it, like any school was done, you mm. would stay far away from that. Mm. And I drove around there recently and it's a lot nicer. Mm. But I, you can feel much safer there, even at night. Mm. I'm like, holy shit, this feels so weird. And I like it that we're making a safer city. I think that's better. But also, I've never forgotten that whole, like, lack of, you know, and we talk about lack of freedom and everything. You know, mm. there's, I remember one of the things my mum said to me was, like, how much she didn't feel safe, you know, walking around areas of Sydney at night in early, like, in the 80s and mm. the 90s and stuff. So, to, you know still be like you know sort of these people who can still don't like having fights with anyone or you know just keeping our distance the area is still very much better Mm. it is a lot safer but it's not perfect yet Mm. there's still a long way to go but yeah like the western suburbs and i remember like Parramatta. even now Mm. it's called the second cbd we used to be called you wouldn't go there yeah you just wouldn't yeah like it was just the no go um but it's so funny now. Everyone goes there. It's restaurant. But they recently did have someone like get stabbed out there a couple of years back. So I mean, and there was a, like a fan, like that was a dispute that was between two people who knew each other. So I think that person got it was like an ex related shit and stuff. No. And I was like, guys, can you stop stabbing? <laughs> but yeah, Blacktown and was the one I remember growing up. And I this was years ago. I remember catching the train. Probably would have been early 2011, 2012, mm. caught the train back to Sydney and I, well, to Central really. And I remember going past Blacktown and I just like, three kids got on and they just, I was like, no, straight up. Like, I don't feel comfortable with them being here. Mm. And it just the automatic of, I feel insecure and I yeah. feel small nowadays. Powerless. Yeah, mm. but it's it's so funny that, you know, what we associate, this comes back to class system as well, which is why I hate the bullshit class system. Mm. But there is something about, you know, when people look less well off, they look like a danger mm. or they look threatening. Or they look like they're about to mug you. Not true at all. Mm. Nine times out of ten, people who are less off well than you don't actually want to talk to you either. Yeah. They want to leave you the fuck alone. Yeah. Um, they just want to get on with their lies and not be interfered with. Yeah. And, and a big part of that is because they know that you're thinking that yes, sort of thing. So it's just like, I I want to avoid all of that. It's like when we were having that conversation about um, ages ago about like the, your perception of yourself yes. versus like your average female on the streets um, yes. perception of yourself. It's like, all right, um, like someone from out there would see like a group of people there and like, all right, if something goes down, if they attack me, um, or if something happens, and even if I defend myself, cops show up, they're going to see like two guys in a suit and they're going to see me dressed like a bum. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, all right, you are the troublemaker, drag you along. You are all right, sir. Okay, we'll take your statement and all the rest of it. Doesn't matter what the what the story was. Yeah. You know, and it's the same. I mean, I told you that story um, where I was walking, I was just walking home one day. Yeah. And there was a girl walking about oh, 20 feet ahead of me. Yeah. Um, and as I say, like I look the way I do. Yeah, um, like tall and just imposing. Tall, and- imposing, a little bit foreboding and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and just like if I have a blank expression on my face while I've got headphones on, you know, it's probably worse. Um, I, I also, because I have long legs, I walk fast. Yeah. So if I'm just walking at my normal pace, I started to catch up to this girl. And I'm not thinking anything about it. Just like, oh, yeah, I'm just 
like I'm just wanting to get home and there's a person there, no big deal. But then I sort of notice that like she's like looking over her shoulder and she's looking back and she's like holding a bag close to herself and that sort of thing. And I had a moment of like, oh, give me a fucking break. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. But she doesn't know that. No. So I, I, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. I stopped and I sat in the wall and she turned around and saw me and like wondering what the fuck I was doing. And I just sort of waved her on. And yeah. I, I sat there for a good five or six minutes while like she disappeared way up the street. Like yeah. she went past where I was going to turn off and then I got up and started walking again. And yeah, for me, from my point of view, it's just like, all right, you took one look at me and you thought I was a fucking asshole. You thought I was a rapist and like a yeah. mugger. You thought I was going to hurt you. I'm not like that. God damn it. But she's had enough, probably had enough interactions with others that were like that yeah. or came close to that. Um, that now she's going to be wary of anybody and she yeah. has to. Yeah. And it's the, the funny thing is it's the way, you know, it's the way girls are trained as well. There's a, um, and one of the things was um, my partner and I, we were walking back from one of our dates. We were in Piermont. Hmm. Didn't think anything of it. We were like, it's nighttime. We'll have a nice walk back home. And there were a bunch of kids that were walking past and they looked like they were out drinking and, but there were a bunch of guys mm. and we both just kind of like slowed down and, mm. we were like, and I was like, well, let's wait until I walk past and then speed the fuck up. Like, mm. let's just get out. But we were both thinking the same thing because it was like, we well, one, both of us can't really defend ourselves. Yeah. Like, but also two, I would be like, no, you go ahead. If they stop, I'll stand and mm. stay behind and you just get as far away from the problem as possible. Yeah. And then I will come and catch up with you. Like, That's what happened to me in Richmond all those years ago. Yeah. You know, um, when I did have the living shit kicked out of me. Yeah. Know, I, um, you know, we were just a bunch of friends and we were out. We went, stopped at McDonald's. And yes, we were in fancy dress because we just come from a fancy dress party. So we stuck out a little bit and we're walking out and people started yelling stuff at us. Mm. Um, we've just gone, oh, shut up, fuck off. And kept on our way and we kept moving away. Um, and then... Like it got to the point where I've turned around and me and a mate of mine, we've just gone, they're going to attack us. Yeah. We need to slow them down so our our girlfriends and our friends can get the hell away. Yeah. And I was standing there and one guy was facing off and trying just trying to pick a fight. And I'm just like, I'm not fighting you, just go away. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, like the world goes red and I go stumbling to the side. So like, what the hell happened? And it took me a couple of seconds to realize someone had just run up and king hit me. You know, I hadn't seen him. He hadn't been part of it. He'd seen me come running over and like punched the tall guy. Yeah. And I stood up and like, I'm looking around and just like, all right, this guy's about to fight. I'm, I'm going to defend myself. And then I've looked around and there's like 40 of them. Yeah. And, you know, you see them all. It's like, oh yeah, it's on, it's on, it's on. As soon as he starts something, it's on. And I've just thought, I make a move, I'm dead. Yeah. And I've just told this guy to fuck off and he's come up and he's like hit me in the face like good five or six times until finally like some, a woman came running out of a pub and screamed out, I'm a cop, which point they all disappeared like cockroaches when you turn a light on. And I wound up with um, mildly dislocated jaw, a broken nose. I had seven stitches above my eye. I had a black eye. Um, Very, very shaken up, like very freaked out afterwards. But... That was the only option I had. I had to stand there and get punched in the face um, while my friends got away. Yeah. Because, like, I could not defend myself. Because, like, I could, 
like this guy was attacking me. If it was just me and him, I could probably couldn't like defend myself or kept him away for a while. Beat him, maybe not, but definitely kept him away. Yeah. But I'm not a fucking ninja. It's not the Matrix. I'm not, you know, these guys are not going to wait in line for me to take them one at a time. They're all going to hit me at once. Yeah. And there is nothing you can do. No. I think I think the, the other um, uh, story I have, which was I remember one time we were out. It was like I was part of this sort of medieval reenactment society at the time. Mm. And my friend and I... And one of our um, other friends at the time, who we're no, both no longer friends with uh, due to various uh, reasons, <laughs> um, lots of allegations against them, and now no one likes them. Um, but, it's funny how that works. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> um, but we were on the way back to the station, and the guy I was with her, um, and I were just, like, chatting, and then my friend came out, and she um, she was like, this random guy had come up to us and was like asking us where think like, um, you know, Petersham pub was. Mm. And we were like, Oh, it's just down the road. Like, you know, you can't miss it. It's like probably 10 minutes. Mm. And he was just like, and she came out and she was like, Oh, it's just down there. Like we've got to be late for our train. And he just like, we started walking and he just went, fuck. Like, you know, and just started chasing us to the station. And my first thought was, okay, let's get to the station. Mm let's hope there's fucking people there mm. because n- none of us can defend ourselves. We called our friends who were still at the place. They brought like, you know, because the way medieval society practice, they all had like wooden batons. Mm. So you could, you know, actually practice with uh, proper weighted things. Yeah. So they came out with those ready to like actually fucking defend us. <laughs> and it was just ridiculous. And mm. so I ended up, there was a guy who was at the station who was just like, mate, mate, it's okay. Mm. Do you want a cigarette? And he was like, oh, for, you know, Fuck yeah. And it was just, it ended up being calmed down by this guy mm. who was offering him a cigarette. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, this guy's like high off something. Mm. Like he looked completely out of it. And I was like, he was ready to just beat someone up. Yeah. Like not even funny. And so I ended up, and then what made it worse and what made it a little bit weird was the guy who helped us was like, you know, got, catching the train back to Newtown. Mm. And at the time, I was like, this is kind of like, he was like, oh, I can help you take this stuff home. And I was like, this is weird. I don't like this vibe. Mm. And um, we were like catching the train to the next stop because it was closer to her house. And I was like, I'm walking you home because I don't want to leave you alone. I'm too paranoid and I'll get home at like one o'clock in the morning. I don't fucking care. And... He had no interest that when I said, oh, I'm taking her home and mm. it's fine. And he was like, oh, you're getting off here? Like at Newton? And she was like, no, no, we're getting off the next stop. And he's like, oh, okay, bye. And I was just <laughs> like, well, kind of at the time I was like, yeah, you're an asshole. Like mm. you were just, I think, ready to be like, oh, I saved a girl. And, you know, all this <laughs> fucking bullshit stuff. That deserves a blowjob. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, get fucked. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was like we got back and I just remember like we were both very shaken by now. It's so funny because like the amount of times, I think that was like she was one of those friends who were like very close to, but yeah, the stories that I have with her, there were so many times where I was like, she's very pretty, but now I also see all the sleazy men. Mm. Like I just automatically saw them because mm. I was like, oh, okay. They all want to just fuck her. Mm. And you're all assholes. And mm. it's just really creepy and actually really unsettling. And I'll, I'll say as well, I don't think any of them actually... 
it's not about the having sex with her. It's about having had sex with her. Like, I don't think, like, you see so often, like, so many guys, especially in clubs, it's like, it's got nothing to do with the girl or the actor or anything like that. They just want to be able to brag to their buddies the other night. Yeah. It's like, you remember the blonde with the big tits? Now the... Yeah. And, like, you you could, like, ask the girl about it later on. It was like, how was it? And it's just like, oh, it was fucking terrible. Yeah. You know, he was in, he was out. He put no effort into it whatsoever. I was just an object on the bed sort of thing. I, you know, why did I bother? Yeah. Where he's just like, oh, I was, I was fucking monstrous, macho man, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah. it's it's very it's very true, and I think it just makes me cringe on society. Mm. Um. Can we elevate this a little bit because this is going down? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was literally about to change the topic. <laughs> right. Can I just I, say- ask me a friendly question right oh, yeah. now? <laughs> Which, which is your favourite My Little Pony character? <laughs> I mean, no, we're not going to ask that question. No, I don't want to answer that question. I don't have one, but you know. Um, but no, what I'm, what I'm going to ask you next is, mm. so you did, the, we'll go back to more about you because we've talked a lot about broad topics at the moment. But you did the art degree. You mm-hmm. went into journalism and did film, like extra work. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you when did directing become the primary focus? Because that's something you've really wanted to do probably since I knew you, mm. when was that kind of the kicker to do that? I always wanted to make a movie. You know, it's just like as soon as I sort of realized that you could make movies, I always, I, that was the thing I wanted to do. I wanted desperately to do that. Yeah. Um, like I said, no idea how you actually did that. Yeah. And I'm I'm self-taught with, uh, with all my film, with my directing and all that sort of thing. Um, so I like spend years like tracking down any and all, um, behind the scenes documentaries I could, Mm. um, which back in the day were few and far between and really hard to track down. Um, and then DVD started coming out and you get DVD commentaries and you get, you know, behind the scenes features and that. So I was watching all of that sort of stuff. So I thought I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um, didn't. And Finally, like I, mum, my dad had been talking about buying a video camera since I was a kid. You know, I was just like, yeah, but buy a camera, dad, buy a camera, buy a camera, buy a camera, and just never got around to it. Yeah. And then one day, like I was unemployed, I didn't really have the money, um, but I still went out and bought myself a video camera on uh, on credit. Uh, uh, I can't even think of the term. Um, which pissed my mother off. I was like, that's one of the few times I've seen my mother just like borderline disgusted in me wow like because there's like you're not working you have no money and now you have then you have to pay off this fucking camera like and you didn't need it why did you do it and just like because i wanted a camera i wanted to start doing this uh and like i took that and this tiny little tripod i got for 20 bucks from a um cash converters um and went out and started filming stuff and the first stuff i started filming was just like i'd go to a location um and just get wildlife shots and stuff like that because i didn't really have anything else to film yeah um and then like just started filming myself in front of the camera and figuring figuring that out um like i i can still remember like the first time i figured out that i had to do an insert shot because <laughs> yeah it was like i was just filming me walking around my parents house wearing my dad's dry as a bone and my indiana jones hat um and I had a toy gun with me and I thought, all right, I want a shot of actually pulling the gun out yeah. of a close up of the gun, pulling, pulled out of my jacket and then cutting back to me holding it. And I realized it's just like, I'm going to have to set up the camera and shoot that. 
I'm actually going to have to zoom up and like line that up and all the rest of it and get that shot so I can cut that in. Yeah. And that's when I first figured out what editing really was and what filmmaking really was because it's not just you don't it's not a play that you just set the camera up and hit record. You know, you've got to create all these little pieces and then put them together and trying to tell a story out, out yeah. of that. And oh man, I was hooked. You know, I just I I love that aspect. I loved going out and getting these pieces and then sitting in front of the computer and putting them all together and seeing if you can get a story out of it. Wow. You know, so like I would go out and shoot stuff and once again it was just with me. I didn't really have anyone I could rope into coming and helping out. Yeah. So it was just me a lot of the time. Um, all right, I'm going to film a sequence. What's going on? And I didn't really have a plan for the sequence. It's just like, all right, I'll drive the car down here and I'll get out and I'll walk across here and I'll go through the woods here and I'll walk down there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just did a bunch of those little things just so I could sit and edit and get the moments and like see if I could get a story out of it and that sort of thing. And like playing with different shots and, and playing with um, credits as well. Yeah. I love playing with credits and title sequences and stuff. I mean, like, remember, like, the film we worked together on, uh, Customer Service. Yes. The end credits on that. Yes. Massively elaborate. You it know? It's very elaborate. You know, did not need to be that elaborate. Didn't care. It was fun. I really enjoyed doing that. Like, and I was working on that while um, the film was being sound mixed and had other stuff yeah. going on. Um, because I just like doing it. Yeah. But that's sort of where it started. And the ironic, the ironic thing about my career is that I get... God, I wish I could say this without actually sounding like I'm bragging, but I get a lot of praise for my writing. You, you know, do. Um, like, sort of, like, I, I understand story structure. I understand when there needs to be a moment and a beat. I understand when, like... I can read something and go, this isn't working. I might not know exactly how to fix it, but I know that it's not working. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of praise for my dialogue because it can sound very, very naturalistic. Yes. Um, and that sort of thing. I never, ever thought of myself as a writer. And writing was never something that I actually tried to do or anything like that. Writing was always the thing that I needed to do to do the other stuff. Yeah. Like I wanted to draw comic books. Um, nobody was coming up with stories for me, so I had to write my own. Uh, I wanted to make movies. No one was coming up with stories for me, so I had to write my own. When I um, went to, I did a fine arts course. Yeah. Like I had done a web design course in 2001. Um, had met a girl during that who fucked me up royally and I fell into this massive four-year depression after that. Mm. Um was not good lowest i've ever been in my life um but because of that i didn't have a job i didn't want to get a job i just didn't want to work um i, I barely wanted to leave the house so on and so yeah. forth um but the local like the um the centrelink was telling me it's just like well, you need to be doing something or else we're going to cut off your payments it's like all right i got to do something like what and they said well why don't you do a course I said, oh, great. I'll just go and do a six-month communications course just so it gets me out of the house and I'm doing something and it moves me forward and that sort of thing. And I was looking into that and um, I saw this fine arts course and it was a two-year fine arts course and I, th I just thought, I can do a year of that. And like 
Centrelink will pay for it for me and like I can get my skills up and um you know that'll that'll help me out and it'll just yeah. give me some time to clear my head uh which turned out to be a really good decision I did did the two years um but I met like like a bunch of lifelong friends while I was doing that yeah uh the Shempets, the evil Shempets. ah that's what that explains the Shempets. that's where that comes from yeah um I was they were in a separate class from me and I was walking past um, at one point, and just recently I had read uh, Bruce Campbell's autobiography, If Chins Could Kill, uh, <laughs> Confessions of a B-Grade Movie Actor, um, which, quite frankly, that should be um, basic reading text of anybody who ever goes to film school. Because he goes through the whole making of Evil Dead, and not just the making of Evil Dead, it's like how they did the financing, how they got money, how they did got distribution, wow, okay. how the, all that sort of thing. Um, I did a Dove Simmons class years ago. Yeah, I mean, years later, uh, this two-day class, and it's like, oh, this is how you do it. And I'm sitting there listening to it, and it's like, I just I read this in Bruce Campbell's book. It's all there. But anyway, um, and I'm walking past them one day, and they like made a comment. like I think it was like an Evil Day Dead comment or some comment about the book. Yeah. And I've stopped, and I've like gone over and spoken. And I was just like, oh, is that from the book? Oh, it's from this. And we got in this conversation. Um, and just found out like we're all nuts. We all like doing crazy things, and we all love movies. Hmm. So one of them had written a script for a horror movie based on Evil Dead, total ripoff for it, and she gave it to me. And I said, "Can I rewrite this?" She said, "Yeah, great." And it was like her script was like seven pages long, and I think I gave her like a thirty-five page script. Wow. Okay. She's just like, "Oh Jesus, okay." Um, <laughs> what a rewrite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did a whole extra twenty pages. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, so we she had access to um, this uh, it was called a den. Basically, it was like a, a scout troop called the Rovers, uh, and they had um, a hall somewhere in Westmead. And out the back of it was like this like shed that they built that they had a pool table in. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like where they went and hung out and had fun and that sort of thing. She goes, "Oh, it's really great because it's got these big swinging doors, and the other door's got like one of the, like a wooden bar that you lock in and that sort of thing. It's a great spot for a zombie film." So she got a bunch of her friends, my new script, my camera, and we went out there. And over the next several months, we started shooting this film. But over the next, over the several months, it's like you would see how much less we got shot. So like ah. on the first night, we got this massive chunk, and I went and cut it together. And I was cutting it together on iMovie for fuck's sake. That's all how little I know. I knew at the time. Um, and then next week we didn't get anywhere near as much and then less and then less and then less. And I think the final night we went, we went out, I think we got one shot and oh. I didn't even wind up using it. And it was just like, cause people stopped getting interest, like interested. I think like one of our friends had broken up with her boyfriend was supposed to be in the film. Um, people were just getting there and hanging out, weren't interested in the movie side of it. I kept yeah. on trying to get it up and going and that sort of thing, but it just, it just wasn't happening. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I tried to really shoot something. And I watched it again recently. I hadn't been able to look at it for years because it's just like cringeworthy. Oh God, I was so terrible, blah, blah, blah. And I rewatched it just recently. And yeah, it's still bad. But I really loved like the enthusiasm and the passion that was going into it. Yeah. It's like you ignore the talent that was going into it. Um, whether or not I had any at the time, I don't know. But I was loving how much passion it was. It was like how how tricky I was trying to be with shots and with setups and with lighting and stuff like that. Yeah. Failed miserably with all of it, but it was still there. You know, I think 
That's that's so funny that you say that as well because it's sort of like the first ever film I did was when I was about 13. Mm-hmm. And I did with my dad and somewhere on a VHS, like a little cassette tape at home. <laughs> and I think what's really cute about it is I wanted to make Doctor Who, so I made this, I wrote this script, got my dad to be in it, and I filmed it over, I think, a course of a couple of months. Uh, but the funny thing is... Every time we watch it, my dad's incredibly OCD. Mm. So the shirt would always change because he'd never wear the same shirt. <laughs> because if, and I always used to try and aim it so he's wearing the same shirt because I was like, oh, it has to look the same. So in every shot, his shirt's different, like in every scene. And it's so funny. Like it's because me, I always look the same, mm. but he just always looked different. <laughs> But it's the cutest thing because it's the father and son kind of like a duo. And it's full of bad acting. He Mm. couldn't act to save his life anymore. Mm. Like he used to do drama when he was younger, but he hadn't done it for years. And he was like, oh, I've forgotten every tactic under the sun. Mm. So it's just really sweet. But there's little me just running around the house. That was all we had to film in. (laughs) So we pretended. And then like I made this basket, um, like I made this bike helmet with tin foil and as a Mm. Cyberman and all this stuff. And... It's just the pure joy of watching mm. something when you're really just into something. Mm. It can look shoddily shit, but it's the fashion. Mm. And I love watching that because there, there's something about watching stuff where you know there's a passion behind it. Yeah. And you go, these people loved it from day one mm. and they never stopped loving it. I think um, one of my favorite uh, sort of films to watch out of like... Probably, you know, th- th- it's less about camera angles now and sort of how fancy the DOB or the mm. cinematography is. That's all the technical thing. But I think one of the funnest things that we did, then I still go, this was one of the funnest experiences, was that day when we did that photo shoot out in the middle of the woods with mm. Grace. Yes. And it was just because we got kicked out. We mm. got kicked out of the spot. Not like the guy being like, oh, you have to go. Because he didn't quite know what we were doing. No. He felt bad because he was like, oh, I actually, oh, okay, I you could have just moved your cars and gone back down. Like it was really fine. Yeah. Um, but we didn't realize at the time. So it was kind of one of those situations, eh, communication error. And it's just, we'll film the rest of it mm. here. He, it, he, yeah, we were trying to do our thing, but he had to do his job. Yes. And when like the information had like cross pollinated, when we finally figured out what the other one was talking about, he was just like, Oh look, I just need you to get your cars out. So I can close the gate yeah. after that. You're fine. And we were just like, Oh, we've already packed up and move everything out of here. So yeah. it's, it, it's, tougher for us to go back down yeah so yeah. It was, it, like the guy was super nice he was like oh, what yeah. are you guys doing and we were like doing a horror shoot um but that was like one of the funnest things because it was like everyone just going here's an idea mm. here's a here's a way of lighting and how's this look how's this look and it was kind of the similar when we did um you know elements of customer service i think um especially when we we're doing the like the practice runs and everything i think was a lot more involved but there was a there was a huge amount of you know it was something you said to me where it was like everything has to be fun and we're about to make a project that is very much fun mm. we've got two projects we've got one big serious one yeah and we've got one fun one and we the- ha- yeah we have the adult project <laughs> that we're all like treating as adults and trying to be professional and making sure yeah but the thing about it is is like because we're being adults that takes that takes the whimsical side out of it yeah you know uh, that, I think that takes a le- not the, so much the creativity out of it, but the uh, the risk out of it. And it's just yes. like, all right, what is what is the most straight laced way to get that information on screen? Yes, and that's the approach we're taking. 
And and we like mm. I think also with both of us, we've chatted about this now, but we're both highly stressed about this because it is such a touchy subject. It deals with um, disabilities without going into too much detail before it gets released, but yeah. it, it deals with disabilities. It's a very important thing to both of us mm. to make sure we get it right. Yeah. And it matters to myself, Shannon and Tony, because it's something that's one, very close to Tony mm. two also like close to both of us, because it just means we're getting something that means more to something that I had to deal with growing up, mm. but as well, like, making sure we you know with your aspect you're not just you're writing a script that is structured it's getting all the information across and also you're making sure you hit all these guidelines that yeah. are actually a lot more complicated than we thought it really they, is they're and very especially because like i i've because of the just the way my head works i have to make sure that there's a story there that there's a beginning yeah. middle, and an end that there's a, like a, a character change in somebody during the story yeah. um and so I kept, I kept on like trying to set up misconceptions yes. at the beginning of the script. Um, but you, then you'd send it off to the people in charge and they'd read that and just like, no, we can't have that in there. We can't, we can't have that moment. We can't have that instance. You, ha- you can't be acknowledging that thing. In yeah. there. We can't have that. And just like, okay, shit. All right. Try this misconception. There. And it's like, no, 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 no. That one was worse. And it's just like, okay, shit. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you, you want to make sure that they got the best product that you can deliver to them but they want to make sure that the message is not not missed um and those those two things really smash against each other a lot yeah. so yeah it has been a challenge i think it's also like words like um disease and uh you know like i talk about that as being like a trigger for me mm. but it's it's mostly because there was a huge lack of understanding when i was a kid yeah. and also like you know for you and tony when you were kids there was that complete lack of understanding because medicine and stuff no was... there was a lack of understanding there was a lack of any sort of empathy around it at all yeah um and we've got three young actors for it as mm. well who are all fantastic and they've all had a you know a very very good understanding of the script and the nature of it all. Yeah, and they're all under 12 and yet they've <laughs> had better careers than both of us. Yeah, I know. We're just like, whoa. <laughs> okay, so I'm a little intimidated at working the, prof- the professionals. Yeah, like- <laughs> we had this meeting and um, and it was getting messages from uh, Maddie mm. and she was just going, "I, they're doing much better than me. And I'm like, <laughs> shut up, you're in Disney. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah. But anyway, as you were saying, it's just like so we're doing the serious thing, yeah. but like we've also got the we've got the fun thing coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like the fun thing is very much like us going okay. And I think it was something you also said to me, which I think um, my partner also said to me was it was something that really can shine us mm. because we're not using a DOP for it. We're using us, yeah. And this is the first time where we can kind of play with the shots mm. and really have a hands-on yeah. decision of what things look like. And I think because. I'm excited for that because it's the first time one we get to use your gear properly throughout a quite a weirdly arranged shoot. Yes, finally, I have the most expensive shelving setup at the moment. <laughs> it's, it's just all these all look- these lovely ornaments that I've got on a special shelf. And what are they? Oh, they're cameras, they're lenses, they're audio recording, it's microphones, it's lighting, it's yeah. Um, yeah, and then you Fucking look at dusk it. Dusk at the moment. <laughs> But we get to use it, and I, I'm really excited for it because I think when we get to it and we shoot it, mm. it will be something that I I know I'll want you to be like, what do you think? Mm. What what shot do you 
have in mind. Yeah, let's and experiment. So, let's experiment. Mm. Let's go wild. Yeah. Let's let's make it look like um you know um Mandy or something mm. like really bizarre. Yeah. Because we're dealing with something that a little bit of a homage to Scream, mm. a little bit of a homage to Nightmare on Elm Street, and a little bit of homage to kind of just like 80s serial killer yeah. vibe, but just kind of whacked. Yeah. And I think the we had this great idea with the meeting. We were all saying everyone had the mask on and they just remember. <laughs> and I still want to just shoot that because it's so yeah, dark. Yeah, just yes, the Scooby Doo yeah, sort the of Scooby-Doo, thing. Yeah, the Scooby Doo. And it's all of you. Like, yeah. See, that, yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. Like, something that I kind of I kind of lose whenever I do a professional shoot because, first of all, like, I, I've never really had the money to do a long shoot. Yeah. So, like, with the last short film we did with customer service, we shot in two locations uh for two days so we had one one day in each location yeah and it was just a, like a case of like just crank out get enough shots to tell the narrative like yeah. we don't have time to play we don't have time to experiment we and i even like structure it like when i was working it out was just like what's the least amount of setups we can possibly do yeah you know how how do we just get this like one or two arty shots or something like that but like how do we just get this and I think that takes away from it a little bit, because like one of my one of my favorite um, filmmaking projects that I've worked on so far was Chris to the Future. Yes. Now Chris to the Future is, was um, just meant as a birthday present for a mate of mine. His lovely wife uh, was throwing him a surprise theme birthday party. Like he knew about the party, but he didn't know what the theme was going to be. And the theme was based on his favorite movie of all time, which is Back to the Future. Yes. So it was little, like she literally set up her house like the Enchantment oh, Under the Sea dance. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, you know, she had a hoverboard made up of some foam core and she had like one of his presents was the Almanac. Um, and everybody was like in sort of like um, very loose Back to the Future cosplay. And she rang up, she rang me up um, about a month and a half beforehand and like told us of what she's going to do and that sort of thing and i said if you're having a party based on a movie we need a movie and fucking idiot that i am um <laughs> and that like there was a bunch of scenes in back to the future that i always wanted to recreate yeah so like we like said to me it's like all right give us a bunch of like historical elements from chris's life um like meeting you and where'd you meet and like he was in the military so his deployment and all that sort of thing and uh, she sent that all to us and tony and i sat down and like we cherry picked a bunch of moments from it and we wrote this half an hour script um where we give chris a present that's back to the future related for his birthday it's a little too screen accurate so it actually sends him back in time and it sends him back in time to the moment where he meets his wife oh but because he's like high-fiving himself and how thrilled they both are that he's about to meet the love of his life. You know, they get drunk and they don't show up and <gasps> like, they screw up the meeting of no. him and his wife. Yeah. And so like Tony and I have to like go back in time and like make sure that event happens and save the day and rescue Chris and bring him back in time. Um, so he's there in time for his own birthday party, you know? <laughs> and as it, like we, as I said, it's like we had a month and a half like from we're going to make a movie to we're showing the movie. Oh my God. And it's back to the future. Like this thing is loaded with VFX and special effects, you know? Um, 
didn't care. Like we went out every weekend. I was like finishing work and driving out to Richmond, um, which is a long way, like and getting background shots and getting this shot. We had a friend of ours like show up one day and do like some stunt driving for us. And then I was spending every single night like editing together and yeah. doing the VFX and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it finally gets to the day. Oh, yeah. And then like it gets to the day of the party and they, they live in Wagga. So oh, that's like yeah, a five yeah. or six hour drive away. Um, so mentality is like, all right, if you're going, if you, I'm heading down to Wagga to visit them, then I leave around 12 or something like that. I'll get there about six um, and, you know, hang out with them for the rest of the night. I was told by my work that I had to work that day. So I've just like, if I have to work that day and like the event that I'm filming at doesn't finish till five, I'm not going to be able to get down there for the, I'm going to miss the screening. And I was devastated. I really was. Um, and it gets to the day and I'm going to work and just, just in case I threw like a bag of clothes in the car. Yeah. You know? Um, and I'd given Tony a copy of the film and he took it down there and that sort of thing. And he said, look, give me a call. If you're going to like try and make it, give me a call. Anyway, at about one, one or two in the afternoon, um, they tell me, it's just like, you know what? You're done. It's like, well, I think we've got everything. We've done all the interviews and stuff like that. You can head off. And I've gone, really? Okay, great. Jumped in my car and head for Wagga. And it is like just this mad dash. And Tony's ringing me up about every hour. How are you doing? You're on your way. How close are you? That sort of thing. And I'm just like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm like, it's been a long day. I had to get up early, but like, I'm going to get there. Yeah, I'm, gonna yeah, get yeah. there. I'm not stopping. Like my leg is cramping up. I'm so tired. Like, you know, you sort of like getting your bottle of, I've got a couple of bottle of Pepsi and I started throwing that in my face just to keep me awake. But finally, it gets to a point like Tony rings me up and I said, put me on the phone to give the phone to Chris. Yeah. And Chris goes, mate, what's going on? I said, look, mate, I'm sorry. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to get there in time. Tony has a gift for you. Um, he'll give it to you from me, but I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to make it. And he's, he's like saying, like, speak up, mate. I can't hear you. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. I can't hear. And I just, oh, hang on a sec. I'll move somewhere where you can hear me. At which point I've run into the room and I've yelled out, <laughs> can you fucking hear me now? And yeah, he's just like, ah, and all this sort of thing. And then we put the movie on and he sat there bewildered for like half an hour watching this film that we made about him and about his life, but connected to his favorite film of all time. Wow. And now every time he gets drunk, I get this phone call. It's like, where can I find that movie? I'm going to show it to someone new. But the whole thing about making that film, <laughs> that's right. I had a point I was trying to yeah. make. <laughs> um, the whole thing about making that film was that I got to just play. Yeah, you know, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to do this show. I'm going to do this show. I'm going to do this shot. It's just like I'm going to get this insert. Insert. I'm just going to get this moment. You had the freedom and the maneuverability to just go, to come up with an idea and just follow it through. Yeah, which you can't really do when it's a, you know, a limited time and a professional crew and all that sort of thing. You've got to plan that all out, and you can have moments of creativity here and there. It's just like, hey, we've got this set up. If we change the light here and if we just move the camera here or we just have him do that. Can we get that shot? Yeah, yeah, great. That's only going to take me like yeah, five, yeah. 10 minutes to set up. All right, great. Let's get that. We've got it. Even if we don't use it, that's a little bit of creativity. But yeah, a lot of the time you don't have the chance to do that because you're just trying to make sure you get the thing because you can't come back. Yeah. You know, if you've like that, like customer service cost us four grand. Yeah. And by us, I mean, we, me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I didn't, I couldn't bring 
we couldn't go back to the locations yeah again to get more pieces we couldn't and it, and on the second day i mean we had to we had a set wrap because i think our dop yeah our dop was um starting her new job the next day yeah and it's just like I, I need to be home and i need to have this all set up and that sort of thing it's just like well we need to have you out of here by five o'clock whenever it was yeah, and so there was a bit of more logistical complications as yeah. well because we needed break times and we, we, it, it just that one was a bit of a trial and error really. Yeah. And that that film is fine. You know, I I really like. I'm others will probably possibly say other things to it, but that film is fine. Yeah, it's not great. It's not memorable. It's 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 run of the mill. And I, I honestly think, I think that's a lot of people's fears more than anything when they go into doing anything cre- creative. It's not about being bad. Nobody cares about being bad. If you're being, if you're bad at something, you can accept it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes like doing something bad can actually turn out better than doing something good. Look at the room. Yeah, that's you true. Um, being bad is no big deal. Being mediocre, being mm. just fine is horrifying because you disappear yeah like you you're not bad enough to stand out and you're not good enough to stand out you're just another one and i th- i i think that's i think that's my biggest fear in anything that i do yeah is just not having the creativity or the ability or the talent to elevate your stuff from fine to something that's actually memorable and is going to stand out and is going to mean something to people yeah, because at the end of the day, it's like, yes, you're doing this for yourself, but you're making stuff for an audience. You know, you want people to see your stuff. You want people to react to your stuff. And if you can't get it out there, or there's no audience for it, or people just, you know, aren't interested, that's worse. Yeah, I think that I I agree um, with that, and I think that that makes. It does make filmmaking very challenging because you're constantly battling this version yeah. of like what the final product is, and um, yeah, it's it doesn't like it. It just makes me go and read every script, and every time I read a script, I go, "Oh, is this going to reach an audience?" And there's kind of a part of me which goes, oh, "I don't care," but there's also the other side of it. it's like I do care, mm. like because you do care. I think it's very interesting. Someone pointed out to me, I was like, um, the other day, I was like, how many people listen to your podcast? And I'm like, I think about 30. <laughs> I think it's about 30, give or take, depending yeah. on the episode. Because it's really like, I remember discussing this with you. It's based on guest to guest. Yeah. But I remember realizing, it's like, I don't do it for anyone else. I do it for me. Mm. I do it because I get to have an honest, open chat with a friend mm. and or a person who I've never met or something like that. And just that huge reflection on it. And I think... Yeah, there's kind of like this weird point now where, you know, you knew me during like one of the uh, one of the lowest points in my life mm. and um we were working on a project that I just mentally couldn't comprehend. I just it was it was beyond me for where I was mm. at the point and my mental health was and it was funny I was saying this to um someone the other day. It really was that project where it was just everything was like Everyone was like, no, don't worry. Like, it's fine. And there was just part of my brain going, no, I need to achieve this thing. Because oh, if yeah. I don't achieve it, I've failed myself. Yeah. And You were so gung-ho to was, get that finished. And I, it's so ironic. And I made the joke to you. COVID was the best thing that happened to that project. 
Yes. Because it put a great big stop sign in front of it and let you, A, calm the fuck down about the project. Yes. Sort of thing. Um, but B, it took the project out of like out of the equation so you could actually realize the shit you were going through. Yeah. And like start repairing that. Yeah. Because I didn't, I think it was also like as a mental capacity, um, uh, living on my own and everything has kind of like been able to process everything and kind of get a bit more sense of it. But I think also it was something that um, was kind of like this driving force. And, and it was so many th- elements were just like, I don't know where my brain was at. It was just at this point where it's like, if I can control something or I can mm. control this big thing, then I am secure and I'm f- sound. And the moment I couldn't control that, like it just exploded. And yeah. I think... And don't forget, like I hate to bring this up, but you, like you did that to a friend's project as yes. well. We won't go into too many de- um, details. But... I think like, he was coming on this podcast. Oh, well. terrific. Um, um, so we'll probably chat about it on that episode. Um, yeah, but you... Like you were... Your life was so out of control at the time that you were desperately trying to find something that you could, could control. Control, yeah. You know? And you, you were... I'm going to say, you were, yeah, you were being an asshole, but it, sort I think of thing. It, it, but it, it can, like it was like I understood that the the place it was coming mm. from, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I like as I've said, I was like I have been in pretty much the exact same situation. I've been that down and dark and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and like your your brain isn't working. Your yeah. brain is trying to latch onto anything. Yeah. You know, um, just just something that like you can have or you can control or that you can like latch all of your focus onto. So you don't have to think about this great big other thing. Yeah. Like I remember at the time um, I started walking. Like any time I couldn't get my head calmed down, I started walking. Yeah. And it got to the point that I was walking like 20, 25 kilometers every single night. Mm. You know, just walking miles away and walking back. Luckily, I was living out in a farm area. So, you know, you, you could walk miles away and it was no big deal. Um, but that that was the one thing that I found at the time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes when you're in, when you're in that dark place, uh, you, it's, it's all you need. Yes. Just to keep, just to keep going until you get that trigger moment which starts you on the way back. It doesn't mean that you're improving or repairing or um, anything like that. It just It's just that one thing that you can grasp onto that's going to keep you going long enough that you can start healing. Yes. Sometimes it turns you into a dick. Yes. You know? Um, but we've all been there and I think um, it's... As long as you acknowledge, yes. Like later on, like you can go to your friends and just like, I was in this spot. That's not an excuse. I was a dick to you, and I'm really, really fucking sorry. Yeah. And seventy five percent of people will forgive you. Twenty five percent, like, it's it's hard. I think yeah. I think it's also like one of those things that we don't. When you acknowledge being a dick, just especially when your mental health is a problem, mm. it's it's very prominent to also know that when people don't always forgive you for that, hmm. it's not, you know, sometimes it hurts and yeah, it does. But I think the people who do get that and they do have also been through it. 
they get where that brain trigger comes from and they go oh you know i get where you were coming from like i'm not i need a point to heal but i don't hate you for it because i know exactly where that was coming from yeah and i think that's the difference um but yeah it's it's it is a hard thing because when things you know as you say when things don't go right in your life it's automatically just like collateral your mm. brain goes collateral damage yeah. and um, you know, to anyone who, I remember actually saying this, I think to you as well, I can't remember anything of 2018 and 2019. Like th- that, that year is a blur to me. Mm. And I think it was, and I don't often admit this because it's, I don't know, it just feels weird, but it, it's something that I just, I, because I can't remember it mm. at all well means I wasn't happy. Mm. I wasn't present. My brain was somewhere and the moment I started like, and I don't recommend this for everyone, but the moment I started taking um, anti-anxiety and getting on top of like doing things for my mental health and making sure I was looking after me, mm. it was amazing how much that shift of, oh, okay, I've written a really, you know, I've made a really good script. This is going on a shelf for later. Mm. This is the, the priority. Because both you and I are very happy with that script. It's a very good script. It but is. We're just, I'm really thrilled with, like, the script we wound up um, creating. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things that it was just, like, we need, I need to mentally put this aside, mm. do something. And I think it was, like, you, you. You said to me, like, you know, which is how Jenga came up mm. um, and stuff. It was, like, it was that whole idea of you need to do something fun. You need to do something fun and easy. And that is something to s- almost start you off and just do that. Yeah. And, and I it- remember yelling at you because you were telling me about it because you said, oh, I've hired this person. I've hired this person. Yeah, yeah. Person. <laughs> We've had a lot yeah. of arguments. Yeah. And you, you told me how much money you were going to spend on that. And I lost was my a- fucking mind at you. Yeah. And it's just like, this is not a project you spend money on. This is a project that you like, you turn into little rascals. You grab what you can you throw it all together in the mix and you just dick around because like the minute you start spending money on something, all of a sudden that gives you this massive mentality of like, I've got to make it good. I've got to make it right with Mm. big inverted quotas around that there. Um, And sometimes you need to go out and you need to make something that's a fucking mess. Yeah. You know, you need, you need to go out and make something that's a piece of crap. You didn't intend it to be. But it's just like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to try this and I'm going to get crazy and do that and I'm going to edit it all together and now I'm going to watch it. Oh my fucking God, I can never show this to anybody. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because like you have that in your head and you just, you know now it's just like, I know 12 different things that don't fucking work. (laughs) But now I know. Yeah. So when I go off and like, and somebody might suggest something to me at some point and just like, you know what? I did that in this other thing and it didn't fucking work. So we're not going to do that. We're going to find something else or a different way of doing it. Yeah. You need you need to go out and royally fuck up every now and then. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to fuck up. Nobody wants to make a mess because that sort of shows everybody thinks it's a weakness. Yeah. Sort of thing. But no, it just shows that you tried. Go out and just, you know, try anything. Be crazy, be stupid. Like it, it's only the first step that hurts, you know, taking that step out of your comfort zone and then doing something stupid. That first step, fuck, that's hard. That yeah. really is. That's like standing on the top of like a diving board and about to jump off. Yeah. But once you've jumped and once you're falling, it's like you're having fun. You land in the water. It's all good. 
Like, um, and you might learn something or do something or find out something about yourself that you never would have otherwise. Yeah. You know? I think, um, I think that's very poetic and also very, like, uplifting because... It's strangely positive coming out of me, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it was like... <laughs> Not in a bad way. Like, it was just the way you phrased it. I was like, shit, like, reading through all that lines, it's just like, wow, that was really, like, that was very soul-touching and, like, you know, uplifting. So, you know, anyone out... I 100% agree because I feel like um, everything you watch and the way we consume TV and the way we consume everything, it is very much... And both you and I have endless conversations about this, mm. um, that you watch so many things and you consume them so quickly that it is good to get, you know, the best thing is also, you know, it's good to go to a set and then get told off by someone. And it's one of my favorite things because I would have never learned had I not been told off by a number of people yeah. and then gone, hang on, let me reevaluate this. And then go through this period of, oh, you know what? They're, a, they're an asshole. And then also go through that period of, Actually, no, mm. I was wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got to go through, I think everyone needs to go through these stages. And we are, as people, fundamentally mm. flawed. And people need to remember this. We are all flawed and we get stubborn, mm. especially when it comes to our own pride. And then the moment we get through that, we're kind of like, you know what? I was an ass too. Yeah. Didn't mean to be an ass. I shouldn't have been an ass. Let me sort this out and let me, you know, prove to you that mm. I can do the job. And one thing that I think, someone said to me recently was like the whole organization of this film that we're about to do the one paid one mm. was like someone said you're actually crit pretty good at your job and i was like well this is a lot of trial and error because mm. i've had told people tell me when i fuck up yeah. and it's not us going like you know the whole dietary requirements and all this stuff mm. i need to ask these things of people because i remember going to sets where they didn't ask mm. and things went wrong and you or you've done something wrong or all the education you get mm. You're 100% right. You need to fuck up yeah. in order to improve. Yeah. And As we're doing prep on this job, um, I, I'll i be honest with you. I am not thinking of all the stuff I've done right. I am like remembering all the shit I've done wrong and I'm like working really hard to make sure that I don't do that again. Yeah. You know, um, so like even when I'm talking, even when we were having the conversation with the actors and one of the things I spoke about was just like, no one ever gets sunburn on my set. Yes. You bring hats, you bring shirts, you bring sunscreen, you bring the stuff you need to be. Because I was an extra on um, an ad one time uh, that was set on a beach and I was in a full suit. And I got so sunburnt that my head felt like it was on fire. You know, I spent two days on a, in a black suit on a beach in like probably about 30 degree heat. And I got massively burnt and just like, that is never happening with me. Yeah. So... Yeah, the, the the lessons where you fell on your ass, you remember the better. Yeah. and But that brings you forward because it's like, all right, I'm going to prepare because I fell on my ass doing that, so that's not going to happen. I fell on my ass doing that, so that's not going to happen. I pissed this person off and like ruined a friendship through that, so I'm going to make sure I don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know? Something I thought the other day was uh, was arrogance and stuff like that. Um, and I just remember people being like, oh, you know, this person's arrogant or this, you know. It's like, no, it's all just trial and error. Like, mm. you know, the, the culture, we always try and we always improve and then we suddenly just get to the other side and we're like, yeah, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you realize you can be, yeah. you know, the the bottom of the barrel or wherever you stand. But in, And then suddenly you just go, you know what? 
let's let's improve this. Yeah. Let's make it better. One but, guy I worked, sorry, one guy I worked with for a while is the closest I've ever had to a mentor. Like he said to me one time, he just said, "Look, put the ego, put the pride in the back pocket." Okay, if like the most freeing words you can ever utter, uh, I was wrong. Yeah. Like, because the minute you say that, it's over. It's mm. done. You know, if you're trying to figure out, oh, if it was his fault technically because and this thing didn't, and like, if I had had that, and if I had had and this one, like, you, you waste so much energy trying to prove yourself right. Yeah. You know? And if it's just like someone says like, oh, you did this, this, and this, and then you think about it and just like, okay, I was wrong. End of it. Yeah. It's done. You can move on. You can learn from it and you can get going. It's, yeah. it's incredible how freeing, like when I actually started accepting that and started using that phrase um, whenever I fucked up, how fucking freeing it was. Because yeah. I, I was the type of person that was just like, no, it was never my fault. There was mm. always something else. It was always somebody else's fault. But then it like turned around and just like, all right, yeah, it was my fault. Okay, good. I'm uh, done. Yeah. Mm. It's like 101. And it's it's just, once you get it in, in your system, it is 101. Mm. Um. That is all we have time for, by the way, because we... we Bullshit! We, <laughs> Bullshit! We can keep going for hours! We could. But the audience... Yeah, could yeah this, this, is, this is the Zack Snyder's Justice League of fucking podcasts. Oh my podcasts. god, no! Oh, yeah, that, uh, that's released in oh, two fucking weeks I, or something I, like that. Yeah, no, right, I'm not looking forward to it. But um, thank you so much for joining me. It has actually been a blast. You know, and it's been a very... I will say this... It, it's interesting hearing a lot of reflections of our friendship as well mm. and just how many deep conversations we've had over the years. Yeah, this is ironically one of the shorter conversations we've had. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we we normally chat for about five hours yeah. and, we, and we've had some deep, deep conversations. So mm. if you want to tune into those, just stick a mic in our rooms. And... Yeah, just just hang out with us because you'll you'll wind up hearing it. Yeah, you know, and, me, and, me giving my all of my great advice that like people hate. <laughs> I do, look, I don't hate, but I just get grumpy. <laughs> no, I know. I totally like. I'm the. T- I'm. I know what I'm like. I know that my advice is the type of advice that people don't want to hear, and they hate straight away. But yeah. later on, it's just like, oh, son of a bitch, he was right. Yeah, you're hundred percent. Sort of you're hundred percent there. Mm. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much. Yeah. Um, this everybody is- needs an asshole like me. In their life. <laughs> This is the Things We Do podcast. If you want to all hear another guest next week, tune in next week and uh, I'll speak to you all later. Bye-bye.